energy prices could go up, China could uh, decelerate too strongly, and of course we are looking at the euro area uh, uh, vulnerabilities, both sovereign debt and banking system. Welcome to Planet Money. I'm Khana Jaffe-Waltz. And I'm Adam Davidson. Today is Friday, May 27th, and that was Chief Economist at the OECD, Pierre Carlo Paduan, talking about global economic risks. On today's podcast, a continuation of an idea that we explored on This American Life not too long ago. It's a topic that we here at Planet Money have been really obsessed with as we go into election season. You know, politicians are always saying, hey, I'm going to create this many jobs. I'm going to create that many jobs. How do you do that? How do you create a job? Today's podcast, we're going to look at one politician's attempt to do just that, to create a job, actually many jobs. And he's someone that you've heard a lot about, but we are quite sure that you have not heard this story. That's coming up after our Planet Money Indicator from Jacob Goldstein. Today's Planet Money Indicator is eight. That's because the G8 is meeting today. Wait, 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 wait. Didn't we do like a million things last year about how there is no G8, the group of eight where the eight richest countries in the world get together to plan the world economy? They said, no, no, we're going to have the G20. We're going to invite China and Brazil and India and all these other countries into it. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm actually glad to hear you say that, Adam, because when I read recently about the G8 meeting, I was sort of embarrassed because I, I actually thought the G8 didn't exist anymore, right? This whole big idea we've been hearing is there is this shift in economic power that's clearly going on away from the U.S. and Europe, basically, and toward the developing world, toward China and India and Brazil. So the G8 doesn't really make sense anymore, right? We need the G20. Yeah, it's ridiculous <laughs> on its face to have the global economic body that determines the world include Italy, but not include China, which is actually richer than seven of the eight G8 yeah, countries. Right, right. We've been reporting. They're the second biggest economy now. And, you know, I feel like it's particularly, I don't know, striking right now because of this whole IMF thing, right? There's this tension between Europe and the rest of the world. Europe wants to make Christine Lagarde, the French finance minister, the next head of the IMF. A lot of the rest of the world, a lot of the kind of G20 power countries are saying, wait, what about us? It's always been a European. And I really feel like the fact that the G8 happens to be this week in France. Yeah, in France. It's like putting a great big exclamation mark on this point of tension in the global economy. I mean, this is something we've talked about a fair bit with Ian Bremmer from the Eurasia Group. We're going to have an interview coming up with Fareed Zakaria. But the basic idea is we're clearly moving to a world where the U.S. and Europe are still very important, but less so. And many, many other countries, primarily China and India, but also Brazil, Russia, many others, Indonesia, are going to be increasingly important. And clearly, it's sort of a one step forward, one step back. The old world, of course, is not quite ready to let go of power. The new world isn't quite ready to take as much power as it deserves in a pure economic calculus. And we're definitely feeling all of that this week. So let's just make sure we cover this for the next 30 to 40 years and hope it goes incredibly smoothly. I'll be the global economic shift beat reporter for Planet Money. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks. So on to today's show, our second podcast on this very difficult question, how do you create a job? We're so fascinated and somewhat obsessed with this question, how do you create a job? Because especially around elections, it's something you hear all the time. Politicians are always saying, I'm going to create a job. I'm going to create more jobs than my opponent. The job-killing strategies of my opponent. And because they keep doing that, we keep asking 
How are you going to do that? How does a politician actually create a job? So a few months ago, Adam, you and Alex did a podcast where you put that question to a bunch of economists. How does a politician create a job? So today's show, we're going to go a more direct route. We are going to put that question directly to a promise maker himself, a real live politician. Um, so just tell me your, your name and title. Sure. Scott Walker, governor of the state of Wisconsin. Now, you all have heard of Scott Walker, and most of what you've heard is along these lines. Protests continue in Madison, Wisconsin, over Governor Scott Walker's plan to strip unions of collective bargaining power. We will not be denied our rights to collectively bargain. For some, what's going on in Wisconsin is the opening bell. It is Walker's proposed budget cuts that have the unions now up in arms. We should say right here and now that... This story today has nothing to do with all the stuff you've heard about Governor Walker over the last many months. We're not going to be talking about unions or budget cuts or collective bargaining. We're going to talk about what Governor Walker defined as his core issue when he became governor, before he became famous nationwide for taking on Wisconsin's public unions. We're going to talk about how he made this pledge to create jobs. And this is something Walker has never been understated about. Here he is at a campaign event in February of last year. Today, uh, I want to make a, a first of its kind campaign announcement that I think is going to be earth shattering. Today, I announced in front of all of you here today and everybody else who's going to be listening on the news and reading in tomorrow's newspaper, that if you elect me as your next governor, I pledge to you here today and to all the other citizens of the state of Wisconsin that by the end of my first term, we will create 250,000 new jobs in this state and 10,000 new businesses by the end of that first term. Wow, that was earth shattering, <laughs> unprecedented. A politician said he is going to create jobs during his term. Have you ever heard anything like that before? Really, I'm shaken. Yeah. Well, we're making fun of him, but... Lots of politicians do this and lots of politicians act like it's earth shattering. But he did do something that not all politicians do. He gave us an actual number, 250,000 new jobs. And that's what got us interested in following him because that's a clear commitment. You can judge if I'm doing it well or I'm doing it poorly based on am I hitting this number. And it's not something he just said one time. No, in fact, he repeated it over and over and over again. This is Craig Gilbert. He's a political reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. 250,000 jobs. I will create 250,000 jobs in my first term as governor. Uh, I mean, the message was the number. So Adam Walker had this very clear number that he was repeating all the time. And during the election cycle, his opponents tore into him for naming this 250,000 jobs number. They mocked him at every opportunity. They called his number meaningless, an empty promise. Why 250,000, they'd say, because it's a round number. Why not 285,000 or 300,000. I think he should have created 487,932 jobs. <laughs> exactly. So basically, this went on and on. And then... Walker's two opponents, a few months in, Tom Barrett and Mark Newman, after ridiculing Walker for putting out a jobs creation number, they went ahead and put out numbers of their own. First, Barrett. Our immediate goal is to regain the 180,000 jobs that we have lost during this economic downturn. That's what I propose today, a comprehensive vision to create Wisconsin jobs. I love the idea that he was competing with 250,000 jobs by offering 180,000. 80,000 jobs. I mean, obviously, I want the 250,000 job right. guy. At, at least the other guy went higher than Walker's 250,000. Here's Newman. 
But when you put the package together, we're talking about 300,000 jobs in the state of Wisconsin by 2020. That's the target. So Barrett and Newman were both late to Walker's numbers game. After making fun of him for having numbers in the first place. Exactly. One of them mentioned a lower number. One of them mentioned a higher number. But they did not become governor. Governor Walker did. And the 250,000 jobs man got his chance to job create. Wisconsin's open for business. So I met Scott Walker in his office at the Capitol in Madison in late March to talk about his job creation plans. And downstairs, you know, he sits on the second floor. Outside his window are all the remains of weeks of protests that have been going on there. But by the point I was there, there were sort of a couple people left with signs. There was some trash on the lawn. And Governor Walker begins our interview with a move I'm pretty sure he uses with all the reporters. He shows me this sign, this big kind of green poster-sized thing that says... Wisconsin's open for business. In fact, I put it up, a sign like that, literally the night I won election, November 2nd. From that point forward, it's about telling the state what you're going to do. And so literally just said, Wisconsin's open for business. And we said, we have a plan to help the people of the state create 250,000 jobs by the end of our first term. So 250,000 jobs by 2015. So Governor Walker tells me he believes government's role is to help create jobs through incentives. And mostly when he says that, he means through lowering taxes, through giving an incentive to hire by lowering taxes. And he called a special session when he was elected. And in that special session, he passed all these new laws to encourage job creation. So let's just quickly run through the mechanics of this law that the special session passed. The whole idea is to give tax breaks to companies that hire new workers, you know, incentivize them to hire new people. So the core of it is this two to $4,000 deduction, tax deduction uh, for every new hire. Now, they don't get two to 4000 They just don't have to pay taxes on two to $4,000. It usually works out to around two, 300 bucks per new worker they hire. And companies that relocate to Wisconsin from some other state, they get two years just fully tax-free. And then Walker expanded some other existing programs that already were common practice in Wisconsin that also gave financial incentives to hire new workers. So the basic idea to all of these is to tell companies in Wisconsin, hey, if you hire new people, there's something in it for you. And that was the core of how he was going to get to 250,000 new jobs during his term. How will you know that you were successful. How will you know that you created 250,000 jobs? We track them. I mean, we track every month. We track, for example, the first month of this year, Department of Workforce Development tracks the number of new jobs they're adding in the private sector. Uh, in January alone, there were 10,100 approximately new jobs created in the private sector. We'll keep building off of those patterns. And that's but how do you know that's you? Well, it's not. You, you, you don't have a personal clicker every time you talk to somebody and get a job. So, Adam, this is what I found was a really hard thing about checking whether Walker is actually successful at getting to this 250,000 number. Because he says this thing, we we don't have a personal clicker, but during the election campaign, he's clearly talking about 250,000 jobs that he and his administration are going to create. But now he sort of talks about creating a climate that encourages job creation. So it's very hard, you know, in a climate to see what part he's playing. Because in the current climate in Wisconsin, there are jobs being created. You know, every new job that gets created, how are we going to figure out what role Scott Walker himself played in creating that job? We are hiring. Um, How many people are you hiring in Wisconsin? uh, Right now, we have 15 open positions. Mm -hmm. What do we have? Okay, right right here we have a list of the current opening positions in Milwaukee. 
Um, we have a collections analyst. We have accounts receivable analyst. Adam, this is Kristen Fergie. She's the executive vice president and treasurer of Brookdale Senior Living. And she posted a bunch of jobs listings in the Milwaukee paper classifieds. That's how I got to her. She is creating jobs. And these are new positions? She's not, because if someone just leaves their job... Right. And they, these are brand new positions. And she says they keep adding more and more people because... There's just a huge disconnect between the supply and the demand in the later years. She's talking about old people. Yeah. (laughs) There's a huge demand of old people for places to live, and there's not enough supply of places for them to live. Right, and they offer places to live. So that means that they can add jobs and keep growing. And, you know, there are jobs being created all over Wisconsin. If you look through the classifieds, there's Bed Bath & Beyond is hiring. There's a couple opportunities for self-starters interested in selling Hondas. Titan LED invites sales representatives to join the lighting revolution with a splashy full pager. It's endless in terms of the opportunities because everywhere you look up, there's a fixture. That is John Rashino. His title, Titan LED Marketing Director. And you know what, Hannah? I literally just looked up in this studio. We have lighting fixtures there, right here. There's opportunities right above our head. Okay, Hannah. So there's lots and lots of jobs being created in Wisconsin. Do you know why I'm not surprised? Why? Because we are in, granted, a slow recovery, but we are in a recovery period. One of the definitions of a recovery period is that there are more jobs being created. We've gone from a very high unemployment rate to now just a medium high unemployment rate. We know from national statistics that no matter who was governor of Wisconsin or any other state, there is going to be more and more jobs this year. So I would want to know, are any of these people, are are LED companies and hospitals hiring people because of Governor Walker's tax incentives, or is it just they're riding the rising tide of of our national economy. No, they're not hiring people because of Governor Walker's job-creating plans, at least the people I talked to. So I called about a dozen people in the classifieds. The majority of them had not even heard that Governor Walker had these plans to create jobs. And the ones who had said, you know, no, we're creating jobs because we're growing because there's a demand for our product or our service. Right. I mean, Governor Walker is not the reason why there are more older people than there are senior living centers. He's not the reason people suddenly want to switch their old light bulbs for LED fixtures. So if you go to the Wisconsin Department of Revenue, they have a forecast. And we know forecasts are often wrong, about, especially about the future, as the joke goes. But they expect that Wisconsin will add around 190,000 jobs by 2015, which is Walker's deadline, the end of his first term. And they actually projected that before Walker was elected, before any of Walker's you know, initiatives. So that's basically in a world without Walker. So whoever's governor of, of Wisconsin, it doesn't matter. 190,000 jobs are going to be created. If Governor Walker just plays Farmville all day on Facebook, on Facebook, then we're going to get 190,000 jobs. So I feel like the way to actually think about what Walker's plan is, to, is to think that he's actually going for 60,000 jobs, right? Like he's trying to reach beyond what would happen anyway. He's trying to coax out another 60,000 jobs. And the role that he's cast for himself is sort of like a professional government seducer. You know, like he makes the idea of hiring something that you maybe had on the mind already look that much more appealing. He's like adding alcohol to a singles mixer. He's maybe dimming the lights a little bit and then let the hiring begin. Who's speaking particularly on behalf of the small business owners of this state. I understand 
that giving them more flexibility, in this case more dollars, particularly when they create jobs in their hands, uh, is a great way to get people working again uh, here in the state of Wisconsin. So. Every click you heard, that's a job he created. (laughs) He doesn't have a personal clicker. So the LED lighting people and other people from the classified ads, they hadn't heard of Walker's plan. So it was sort of hard to piece apart what, if any, effect his policies had with them. So I went to the one place that definitely had heard of Walker's job initiatives, the place that he announced his job plans, a company called Saris in Madison. They make bike racks. It's a small business. It's growing. It's a likely job creator. So it's a really good place for him to announce his new legislation. So I visited and I sat down with the CEO, Chris Fortune. And basically within a couple minutes, Chris Fortune is getting out his calculator and he's saying, okay, so Walker has these plans. Let me just think through what this would mean for me. Let's say at the end of the year, I've hired five people. I'm going to get a deduction of $4,000 for each person, so $20,000 off my total income. That's, that's, remember, a deduction, which in the end saves me something like $270 per employee. That doesn't work. The math doesn't work for me as the motivator to hire people. Mm-hmm. It may work for somebody else, these financial programs, but it doesn't work for us. It's strange, though, because Governor Walker was here to announce these new programs to encourage businesses to hire, and yet you're saying it would do nothing for you. Well, we could benefit from that if we do hire people. The thing I I am saying is that what that bill does isn't going to drive our decision on what we're going to do. So, Adam, I did spend some time with Governor Walker asking him, for whom is this going to drive their decisions? Who specifically is going to be hiring because of your programs? And he gave me some examples. Catalyst Exhibits. That was from Crystal Lake, uh, Illinois, and actually was interested in expanding, growing their company. They've got about 80, 85 employees. They want to add another 20, 25 on top of that. We gave them an incentive to come up to the state of Wisconsin. They get two-year reprieve from corporate income tax. Is that creating jobs or is that just stealing jobs from some other state? Well, in that case, it's moving jobs. There's no doubt about it. We're making it an incentive to move to the state of Wisconsin. The other part for us is the startup. We're in the process. You're very, I mean, you're very aggressively promoting come to Wisconsin, right? And and that's presumably jobs that would be created in other states Mm -hmm. nearby. So. So it, there is some element of just taking them from other states and getting them for your state. 100%. Right. We're doing dual strategy. We aggressively went out there. I went on TV and, and the radio in Chicago and Rockford and Springfield and the Quad Cities saying, escape to Wisconsin. We'd love to have you here. And he actually did something when I heard about it. I thought, is that legal? Are you allowed to do that? He posted billboards along the border with Illinois with, with that same sign that you saw, right? Wisconsin is open for business. Escape to Wisconsin. And that always frustrates me a little bit with the way a lot of states do economic development. They focus a lot of attention on getting companies to move from some other state to their state. But the thing is that doesn't make our national economy do better. That's not adding jobs or creating new industries. It just moves the pieces around the chessboard a little bit. And that doesn't really make for an overall healthier economy, although it is what many, many, many states spend a lot of their time doing, which is why I was really glad that you really wanted Walker to sell you on the idea that, no, it's not just moving jobs from other states, but it's finding companies in Wisconsin that have added jobs. 
are there companies that you can point to right now, three months into your term, and say, these are companies that we've helped create jobs? Yeah. City Brewing uh, in La Crosse, Wisconsin, has 550 people working there. They've got five lines. They want to add a sixth line. And one of the ways that we're helping them do that, we announced just on Friday, was we're giving them $490,000 in tax credits, meaning if they hit those 100-plus jobs, they get $490,000 worth of credits off of their corporate income taxes. So Adam, I called City Brewing, and they told me, yes, the governor's tax incentives played a role, at least at one point they actually said a large role, in their decision to hire. So they told me about the sixth line, and they said they'd been thinking about it for a while. It was in the plans last year. They're going to have to make a $13 million investment, but $490,000 off their income taxes, it's small compared to all that, but it did help push them over the edge to do it now to say yes to job creation. And this was true for a couple of the other places Walker referred me to. I tried to call or visit all the places that he mentioned. And mostly people said, you know, we were already planning to hire. Some people said these programs are too small to really make a difference. And some people were like City Brewing and said, you know, they're small. It probably doesn't mean that we're going to hire because of them, but it might sort of push us off that fence. If we were already on that fence thinking about hiring, this might be the thing that makes us do it faster or makes us do it right now. And it makes sense that that would be a small number, right? Because most companies are going to hire no matter what. I mean, like we said, Wisconsin itself expects 190,000 new jobs if there were no tax incentives. So the tax incentive is only going to affect a very small number of people who just happen to be right on that bubble where 200, 300 bucks is enough to push them over. And that's got to be a, a very small number of companies. But you have to pay all the companies that hire that two or three hundred dollars. So, so clearly, you're wasting a big amount of that tax incentive on companies that would have hired anyway. So, it's hard to figure out how useful a tax like this is. Although, if you remember the podcast I did with Alex a few months ago, what we learned is yes, there are ways to use the tax code to encourage short-term behavior for a small number of companies. But what the economists concluded was that really what government can do is is long-term. That's where government has a shot at creating long-term job development. And that's really in line with what Andrew Rashovsky at the University of Wisconsin-Madison said to me. He's an economist there. And he basically was talking about this short-term versus long-term idea, too. And he said, you know, politicians are mostly focused on getting to some number in some amount of time in their short term. But if you can somehow get a patient politician who wants to create jobs, there are things that they can do. They can say... Have you ever met a patient politician? <laughs> he, he believes that it is possible that there are some out there. And if they are out there, he says what they should do is they should sit in their office and say... I'm going to invest in roads. I'm going to make transportation easier for companies that, you know, make things in my state or buy things from other states. Or I'm going to improve the quality of state university system or I'm going to invest in community colleges, good bridges, so physical infrastructure. Uh, there are possible ways in which uh, you can make a real difference. The payoff in terms of extra jobs and better jobs, maybe it'll only come at the end of your term. Uh, it's certainly not going to come instantaneously. Or by my re-election. And maybe by your re-election, Yes. I always think education is a great way to understand the challenges of 
incentivizing politicians to think about long-term economic growth. You know, we pretty much all know it's a truism that education, educating the population is the best way to ensure long-term economic growth. And jobs. And jobs. And one of the best ways to do that is to start when kids are really young. But spending a lot of government money to educate two-year-olds today, you're obviously not going to see any new jobs for a generation. It's going to take a very long time. And so, of course, politicians naturally turn to short-term things, short-term fixes that can work in their term. And you know, Scott Walker in his union-busting life is seen as a real libertarian, right-wing idealist. But what we're talking about here, using tax incentives and spending plans to, you know, to goose the jobs numbers in the short term, that's just standard politician stuff, Republicans, Democrats. It, it's just part of the standard toolbox that most governors use all the time. This is not part of any libertarian view of the world. In fact, libertarians tend to hate these kinds of targeted short term tax cuts to, you know, to encourage certain behavior in companies. And I think, like, working on this story, the thing that I kept thinking about was they don't have a ton of options. Like, basically, they have short-term options, which maybe have some impact. Maybe you get that extra 60,000 jobs or push those people off the fence into job-creating territory. Or you have the long-term options, which, you know, in the long term are probably good but are probably kind of hard to measure what your impact is and what the next guy's impact is. If you're a government, in terms of job-creating... You've got long-term and short-term, and either way, the effect that you're likely to have is going to be pretty subtle and probably pretty hard to measure. Yeah, as, as one economist told me, we know that government can definitely stop job creation. I mean, you just look at some of you know Zimbabwe or North Korea. There are things governments can do that we know will end economic growth, but, but we're still not quite clear on what government can do to promote economic growth, especially in the short term. We should say at the end of the show today that Governor Scott Walker does seem to be on track to getting his 250,000 jobs number. If you look at the jobs added to the Wisconsin economy in January, February, March, he is looking at least now like he's going to achieve that number. We worked with our good friends at This American Life to put together a whole hour on this question. How do you create a job? We have a bunch of stories, including one that I did with Julie Snyder over there, on how the government and the private sector work together to try and create jobs. We're going to link to the whole show on our blog, npr.org slash money. And Planet Money has the cover story in Wired magazine in the June issue on your newsstands. Jess Jang, our producer, and I worked together for months putting together this really nice atlas of where the good jobs are in America and where they're likely to grow, what industries, what places. A lot of surprises, I think. Certainly it was surprising for me. So that's Wired Magazine June issue. The cover says a special report with Planet Money. It's very, it's very exciting. exciting. And you can let us know what you think of the This American Life show, of the Wired Magazine issue, of this show at planetmoney at npr.org. You can find links to all of those things and all the places that Planet Money exists in the world today at npr.org slash money. I'm Hannah Jaffe Walt. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening. So do you got me. Thank you.